We are back in action, as are the Cincinnati Bengals in week 11. We're all coming off a bye. We're shaking off the rust. Hopefully got some rest and everything. I'm Anthony Cazenza, joined by my dude, John Sheeran. Uh, we are coming up. We were just talking before we took the air. We are coming up on the holidays. We're coming up on a lot of big things on the yearly calendar, but we are also, John, coming up on a big point in the Bengals football calendar as they return to work. Yeah, man. Um, it's been been a little weird because, like, I don't know about you, but I haven't had, like, time off or a vacation in a while. So the bye week was very nice. And I was just thinking, like, during the intro, I haven't really done a lot of writing recently. And I just remembered that I was supposed to do the injury report today, and I did not <laughs> do it. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> but we will cover the we will cover the injury report. We just won't have a host to reference with it. But yeah, much needed bye week, but got to get back into the swing of things now. Yeah, you slacker. Just kidding. Uh, you, you write uh, way far more often <laughs> and of higher quality than I do. So, uh, well, at any rate, it's good to be back talking some Cincinnati Bengals. We didn't really take time away from this show necessarily, but it just kind of maybe sort of feels that way a little bit just because of the bye week. But we had to happen in headlines earlier this week. We've got this show, of course, and in lieu of our usual listener questions live, we're going to do a roundtable with the Cincy Jungle podcast crew, John, myself, Matt Minnick, Ace Boogie, Zim Hude, who just had a great interview with Jamar Chase's father. Uh, I believe that was last night. So uh, if you haven't had a chance yet, go check that out on the channel and their YouTube channel as well. Uh, really, really cool stuff there. And, um, you know, we, we've got a lot going on on the channel, a lot of different shows, our shows, Matt's uh, coach speak and chalk talk shows. And then of course, orange is the new black for Mason Zim. And we are getting together as we do a small handful of times throughout the year and, and, uh, doing a a collaboration show this Friday, John. So looking forward to that. I haven't talked to those guys in a minute. One, one guy got married. One guy had a kid. We got a lot of catching up to do. I know, I know. It's like, gosh, life life changes galore with those with those guys. But uh, if you are new here, welcome to the live stream on our YouTube channel, Cincy Jungle's Facebook page, or one of a few Twitter accounts, the Orange and Black Insider Twitter account, my Twitter account, or Cincy Jungle's Twitter account. They're all streaming, shooting out live everywhere there. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at the icon below John and right around that Cincy Jungle circular logo down there. You can click that to subscribe and hit the bell to be notified when we go live. And then, of course, you can subscribe to the podcast channel. We're on all the major streamers, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, all the major ones. We are there. Subscribe to it. Leave us a review so we can know what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong, and maybe get us a little extra exposure because we are egomaniacs and we want to uh, we want to get exposure. I, I kid. I kid. I we just want the clicks, man. I know. Clickbait. That's all we're about. Hey, uh, let's let's start here, John. We're going to start with a little bit of recapping of where we are as the the NFL, the AFC, the Bengals, we, the Royal We. We're going to start off uh, getting a picture as as to where we are at in the playoff picture, where the Bengals sit right now, what's ahead for them. We're going to do a little bit of a believe it or not. We haven't done one of those in a little while, so we're going to do a believe it or not. And, and doing some projecting of different things going forward for the second half of the Bengals season. And, of course, we'll wrap with the preview of the 
I almost called them the Oakland Raiders. Don't call them the Oakland Raiders. The Las Vegas Raiders as the Bengals are in Sin City. We, we both give one. I think we can either call them the Los Angeles or Oakland Raiders at least once. You know, <laughs> I think we're a lot of mess up. That's right. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Well, I, I sometimes I still call the Chargers San Diego Chargers just out of, I don't know. I mean, that just I, sounds right. I know it does. It, they, they should have stayed there. That's a different topic for another time, though. We will talk some Chargers, though, to kick things off in a weird way because the Bengals have a a daunting schedule, but also one that seems simultaneously very winnable. Let's. I'm going to share this. This is on NFL.com. This is the most updated playoff picture, okay, and the seedings here. You can see here you've got the Titans and the Packers as the one seeds. The Packers did a little leapfrogging of the Cardinals with Arizona's loss to the Panthers. So you've got Titans and Packers as your one seed, the Bills and the Cardinals as your two seeds. You've got the Ravens and the Cowboys as your three seeds. You've got the Chiefs and the Buccaneers as your respective four seeds. The Chiefs moving up four spots with their demolition of the Las Vegas Raiders uh, this, this Sunday night. So that they made a big jump there. Don't look now, John. The five, three, and one Steelers, they're in the fifth seed right now, as are the Rams, who took one on the chin on Monday night at the hands of San Francisco. The Patriots are moving up. They are the sixth seed, as are the Saints, who are doing it with Trevor Simeon, although they had a, a, an off week this last week, so still a lot of football to be played there. Those L.A. Chargers, as I mentioned, they are five and four. And at the, the seventh seed, you've got the Panthers as the seventh seed as well. Cam Newton making a return and getting that big win against Arizona. So those are your current playoff teams. Now, right on the cusp, based on strength of schedule, who they've beaten, who lost this week, the eighth seed or right outside looking in are the Cincinnati Bengals, as are the Vikings, who are at four and five, the Raiders, who the Bengals play this week are the ninth seed at five and four. The 49ers are the ninth seed in the NFC who, oh, by the way, the Bengals play in a few weeks. You've got the Colts and the Falcons, the Browns and the Eagles, the Broncos and the Washington football team. And then you've got, I mean, when we're going three win teams here, it's kind of getting a little pathetic. So here's my point in bringing all this up aside from reminding folks, John, the Bengals have eight games left on their schedule. Let's count them out. Ravens, currently seated in the playoffs. Chiefs, currently seated in the playoffs. Steelers, currently seated in the playoffs. Chargers, currently seated in the playoffs. Then you have the Raiders, who are nipping at the heels of the Cincinnati Bengals to get into the playoffs. The Browns, who are a couple spots behind them. The Broncos, who are a couple of spots behind them. I mean, you've got all these teams. And then, of course, you've got the 49ers as well over there. You know, I guess what I'm trying to say is every one of these teams that the Bengals have left on their schedule are in the playoff hunt in one form or another. And look at the top. Look at the top of the AFC compared to the NFC. Because in the NFC, you have the Packers, who the Bengals almost beat, but they're still pretty good when Aaron Rodgers is playing. Mm -hmm. The Cardinals look dominant when they're healthy. The Cowboys have an explosive offense. The Buccaneers have Tom Brady. The Rams... For as talented as they are, as dangerous as they are, they're the fifth seed. It is so nice for AFC teams to be in this conference right now because you look at the top of the AFC, you have a Derrick Henry-less uh, Tennessee Titans who find ways to win, but who knows how sustainable that is. The Buffalo Bills are 
explosive like the Bengals, but they're very hot and cold, and they just lost to the Jaguars. The Ravens, the Bengals have beaten. The Chiefs, who knows what they're going to look like in the coming weeks. They look like they figured things out, but at a certain point, they can revert back to where they were. And look who they have beaten up too, by the way. They've got the Cowboys yep. coming. They got the Cowboys, so that, that could change things. Like AFC, AFC West is wide open, just like the AFC North. There is no better time to be in the playoff hunt in the AFC than right now. And there's no better time to have a quarterback who can keep you in the playoff hunt right now because there is no there, there is no 2018-19 There is no 2001 to 2016 New England Patriots here. There is no juggernaut in the AFC right now. There's no there's no team that should scare the Bengals or any team resurging or getting back into the playoff race because everything is wide open. And the best part about the schedule, it, it's chock full of quality opportunities to prove that you either belong or you don't there is no like the games matter here there is no excuse for you to lose more games than you should here and squeak into the playoffs like you if you win you belong and you're gonna end up facing teams that you previously played earlier in the season this is eight weeks of essentially proving ground after proving ground and there's no real team that should scare the Cincinnati Bengals compared to what they can do or what they believe that they're capable of doing. And I know that, you know, maybe there's other teams that are more talented on paper or have proven to be more consistent, but th- this is wide open. And any team who makes it into the playoffs, I wouldn't count them out of actually getting to the Super Bowl because there was no team that should be favored over any other team in the AFC. A couple things I want to point out, and they they point to what you're talking about. When you look at the difference between the two seeds in the respective conferences and the amount of wins down to the seven seed, you're talking about a three win difference, give or take, depending on who's had a buy, but essentially a five and five team as the, as the seven seed in Carolina and eight and two in the NFC as the number two seed in Arizona, three, three win difference. The two seed in the AFC, six and three teams on the bubble outside five and four. So there is not a lot of difference in these schedules. And quite honestly, a lot of these teams in the AFC are just kind of cannibalizing each other for a lack of better term. They just keep kind of beating each other. One team gets a good win one week. One That same team gets an awful loss the next week. You'd mentioned the Bills. They're winning some nice games. They drop an egg in Jacksonville. Thanks a lot, Buffalo, for my survival league. Um, so they, they do that. The Ravens get shellacked at home by the Bengals, come back the next week and beat Minnesota in overtime. Then they lose to Miami on a short week. You know, the Chiefs up and down, up and down. The Steelers up and down, up and down, tied the winless Detroit Lions this week. The Patriots were not great to start the season, and they just throttled the Browns, who just throttled the Bengals at home. So it's just a lot of Jekyll and Hyde and – to me, there's a sense of optimism if you're a Bengals fan because the Bengals have proven they can beat. They've already beaten a couple of those teams that are slated to make the playoffs and did so handily. But they've also, like many of these other teams in the AFC, John, have ugly, ugly losses and ones that should not have been in the L column. You know, it's funny. Like this is this year, transitive uh, properties mean absolutely nothing. Because if we were going by that, it would all go back to Tennessee. But Tennessee, if you remember, lost to Zach Wilson's New York Jets back in week four. They, they say it's any given Sunday, right? And it's just a week-to-week thing. But that's never been more true than it is now. And like you were talking about, the baton 
keeps getting passed to dominant team after dominant team. And no one wants to assert themselves as a consistent force to be reckoned with. And I think that's just probably how it's going to be up until the playoffs. But everything we've seen year after year, even more normal years where there is a team like the Patriots or the Colts or the Chiefs, it's all about timing. It's all about catching your stride when it matters the most, right? We've seen teams start hot, kind of like the 2015 Bengals, and flame out for varying circumstances. But it's all about getting hot when it matters at the right time, specifically towards the end of the season, which is why teams are apprehensive about setting their starters on the heels of, of getting into the playoffs or after already clinching the buffs. If the Bengals or any other team can just string together wins towards the end of the season that that might be all that it takes and any team in this playoff race can figure it out because again this is a crazy nfl season where underdogs are covering spreads and, and winning outright and it's impossible to pick these games because it's just been such a crazy year and i think that is why the last two weeks for the Bengals, while it's not ideal it's far from a backbreaker we talked about like that jets loss could bite them in the butt when it comes down to it but honestly at this point i'm not sure it's really going to matter as long as they just win like at least four four or five games down the stretch so here's here's the big question and i'd love to get your opinion on this does this point to this Bengals five and four chargers five and four patriots six and four steelers five three and one Chiefs six and four ravens six and three does this point to a mediocre and a Jekyll and Hyde AFC, or does this actually point to, hey, these are all kind of like pretty good teams, and they're just kind of beating up on each other from week to week. Yeah, I don't think any of these teams are necessarily bad, maybe a little bit fraudulent, but not necessarily like teams that you can just write off and say, oh, they're not that good. Like, yeah, I don't think you can do that this year. I really don't, just because they're not dominant and not consistent i don't think that you can just write them off as as not as good as their record is i I just think for whatever reason this year and i think a lot of us expected this to be what it was last year when when you know people were starting to deal with covid and we weren't sure how the season was going to go on i mean we're still dealing with covid in in a sense players are missing games they're getting fined for not wearing masks at, at press conferences like we're still dealing with that but you know we had a year to really prepare ourselves for the season and it's like the covid randomness is now taking hold a year after the, the beginning of the pandemic, which is just a little weird to me, but like this is just what everyone has to deal with and no one's really taking advantage of it so far. We had a question. Uh, Russ ENT is asking who do this, who do the Steelers have this week? They have the chargers and it's what you, I mean, the, the Steelers and the chargers face off the Bengals and the Raiders face off. I mean, uh, you know, the Ravens have the have the Bears there, but the Bills have uh the Colts and then Titans have the Texans ring ding ding. But I mean, you're going to see a lot of this, you know, couple weeks. Chargers play the Bengals. Uh Browns play the Bengals. Steelers play the Bengals. I mean, you're just going to see a lot of this and, and right now it just seems so muddy and so just discombobulated in terms of like who's good, who's not. Um really the best way we're going to find we're going to find out who is good and who is not in the best way possible because these teams are just going to play each other and beat up on each other quite quite honestly um you're going to have a lot of divisional matchups you're going to have a lot 
of, you know, cold weather games and that sort of thing uh, for the teams that are, you know, either right outside the playoffs looking in or, or currently bracketed to make it. You know, like, uh, I'm curious what you think about this, because I know the Bengals aren't perfectly healthy. They just had some, they had a couple players on the injury report today and a, a player who was placed on injured reserve. But for the most part, this team is much more healthier than they've been in years past. And at least for me, I, I kind of feel like it, it doesn't mean as much for some reason. Like, I, I feel like injuries, like they're they're always going to have some type of an impact, but I don't feel like they're making that big of a difference in some of the games unless it's like a quarterback injury. And even like the 49ers just beat the Cardinals like with, with or the Cardinals just beat the 49ers a couple weeks ago with their backup quarterback. And like the like Mike White, <laughs> all people, right, he's right. a backup quarterback and he just dominated the Bengals. Like I feel like everything that we think we know, we we, we don't. It's just it's all flipped on their heads. And it feels weird that in the midst of one of the healthiest Bengals seasons in recent memory, it's almost like that's just kind of like a non-factor. It's not as big of one in my, you're, you're kind of right about that. It's not as big of one as it was in years past. It seems as if the Bengals are getting by with some of these injuries. I do think the the Davis Gaither injury is, is something that's going to sneaky hurt them a little bit on defense, but um, you know, overall the main players that I think the big key is the main players have remained healthy, knock on wood. And, so that's that's helped them, but you're right. I mean, I think each team is kind of experiencing some injuries to some degree. Some of these teams have young quarterbacks. Some of these teams have have quarterbacks that are, um, you know, at the end of their respective careers. I mean, if you look at if you look at some of these teams, I mean, you're looking at Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, Mac Jones, Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow. I mean, those are those are the names in the AFC, and then you sprinkle in a Ben Roethlisberger at the end of his career. You sprinkle in a Ryan Tannehill, you know, who's kind of at the middle slash end of his career. Derek Carr in the middle of his career. So, I mean, for the most part, you kind of got a lot of the young quarterbacks in here, and so I think with that, that kind of <laughs> as weird as it sounds, those teams are kind of taking on the personality of young quarterbacks, even as talented as some of these guys are, where it's just, you know, there's a lot of wow moments. There's a lot of nice wins, great quality wins. And there's a lot of just, Oh, what did I just watch? What kind of mistake was that? And uh, I, I, you know, I think you're kind of seeing that and it's indicative with these records, five and four, six and three. It's, it's pretty good, but it's not, there are points on the resume where you go, Oh my goodness. What, what was that? And of course, amidst all this randomness, all this chaos, this unpredictability, you have the Patriots surging at 4-0 and Mac Jones is playing like playing better than any other quarterback in the league. And of course, they're back in the playoff race. Of course, of course. And I have to give a little bit of credit. I, you know, I, I'm not a big Patriots guy, but I have to give a little bit of credit to Bill Belichick and to Mac Jones because it, it started off pretty ugly this year. And I think a lot of us were saying, see, it's Brady, it was Brady, it was Brady, it was Brady. And especially with what happened last year, and I think we can still, to some degree, definitely say that. But, you know, the fact that this team is right there again with, you know, Mac Jones to me initially wasn't all at all impressive. And now, based on the popularity of the team and the team winning games, we now have someone who is giving likely Jamar Chase a, a fair run for his money for rookie of the year. Oh, if Mac Jones continues to play like this and the Patriots make the playoffs, I think Mac Jones wins rookie of the year. Yeah. I'm sorry to say that, but like it's exactly what happened last year. Justin Jefferson pops off 
with the Vikings, has a historical season, but Justin Herbert looks amazing at quarterback, and quarterbacks will always win that award. Right, right. Well, that's we wanted to update everybody and just give you a look at what's going on with the NFL playoff picture. I usually do that on the post-game show. We kind of talk about it a little bit on Happening Headlines and stuff like that, but wanted to bring this back up because as the Bengals get set to embark on their second half of the schedule, every single team that they are set to play, unless I'm missing something here, but every single team that they are set to play are either currently seated in the playoffs or are in quote unquote, the hunt. Um, And of course, three of those teams are divisional games, two of which are at home for Cincinnati. So, um, you know, again, you know, if you're going to make the playoffs, if you're going to make, waves in the division and win it you're going to have to prove yourself in this final stretch it's there's not there's not a ton of easy games but there are games that are winnable based on these records here and that's kind of i guess the tail of the tape that we're seeing john well dude uh, we, we've never had this segment before this late in the season i've never had to talk about the playoff picture in in, yeah. in mid-november this is exciting like uh, like like we said last week this is the most exciting time to be a Bengals fan in recent memory, not because we know that they're going to be good, but because we don't know if they're going to be good or bad. We don't know if they're going to make the playoffs or not. And that's exciting. It, it's so much fun every single week turning on the TV and thinking what upset's going to happen next. Yeah, essentially six years, I think. I mean, it, it, it's, it's been since 2015, since the Bengals have been, you know, kind of in the hunt this late. I guess you can kind of say they were in the hunt a little bit in 16, maybe even in 17 a little bit, but the, you could kind of see the the walls crumbling down on them on those two teams there so yeah you're right though um it's been a far more enjoyable season definitely the most enjoyable in the zach taylor era and a far more enjoyable one than we've seen in in the past few seasons we're going to get to a believe it or not in just a second talking about maybe some projections and what may be ahead for the cincinnati Bengals. and that segment as usual is brought to you by our buddies over at Symbol, Kenneth Giles, who, by the way, has to just be immensely pleased, despite some of the distraction stuff, but immensely pleased with what's going on with his Green Bay Packers. And, of course, immensely pleased with what's going on with his company, Symbol, S-I-M-B-U-L-L. And that now, John, they have a new fancy schmancy URL, Symbol.com backslash OBI is the web address. So you go to Symbol.com backslash OBI. Our listeners get a special promotion, a money protection promotion. If they go to symbol.com backslash OBI and use the promo code OBI, John, what do they get as that promotion if they use that promo code? Well, if you are interested in putting your money where your mouth is with your particular set of skills and the range of sports knowledge, (laughs) and you want to invest in any NFL team, any NBA team, MLB, NHL, or Power 5 college team, you can go to symbol.com and you can enter the promo code OBI. When you go to symbol.com backslash OBI, enter the promo code OBI and you can deposit $500 and symbol will protect that investment of up to $500 for the first 90 days that you remember and you enter the promo code OBI and you can invest that $500 in any team or teams that you would like. And if you happen to not like the market, if you don't like the product or if you're just losing money left and right, you can take out that $500 completely risk-free 
for the first 90 days. That's how much Symbol wants you to get in on some of this action. Get in on the market because right now the NFL is insane and there's a lot of opportunities to buy low and sell high on some of these teams and make some coin back. And maybe, just maybe, you want to keep that $500 in there and you want to invest more and you want to keep up with an emerging company, an emerging product that's definitely, it's, it's going to grab your attention for years to come. Go check out Symbol. And Russ is correcting us in the live chat, forward slash. We always get corrected. Is it forward slash? Is it backslash? You know what the URL is. It doesn't really matter. You know what we're talking about. If you know how to use the interwebs, you know how to put in a URL address, whatever. www.symbol.com slash OBI. We'll just leave it as a general slash OBI for you there. And hey, it is time we haven't done one of these for a while believe it or not let's do some predictions and projections john um i I think it's the the most well i don't know if it's the most fun area to focus in on but one i think we are all really keeping a close eye on is a little bit more on the offense. I guess I will kick it off and I'm going to, I'm going to start with the most obvious and uh, I I guess kind of concerning area in a lot of respects, Joe Burrow and Joe Burrow has largely played outstanding. He's got over a 100 rating. I think he's at 102.4, 102.6, something in that neighborhood. He's among the league leaders in touchdown passes among, I think he's top, top six in passing yards. I got to double check all those, but I mean, he's among the tops in the major statistical categories. He's got the Bengals in a winning record. The Bengals are in the playoff hunt, but he is also in the league leaders among the league leaders in interceptions thrown. And uh, he's thrown quite a few. I think it's a PFF metric of these, um, you know, these interceptable passes or these turnover worthy passes, if you will, he's thrown quite a few of those. There's some tight window throw issues, that sort of thing. So a lot of the chatter is you want him in his second year to be a little more aggressive, especially when you have a Jamar chase, it's working more often than not, obviously, but when you're coming across a two game slide where he's thrown, uh, you know, his share of interceptions, the Bengals are owned to, they're in the bye week coming out of it. Do you expect that the interceptions thrown will drop, stay about where they are, or maybe even increase as the Bengals make a playoff push in this back half of the schedule? I think they stay around where they are, primarily because the number of interceptions matches the number of turnover-worthy throws. It's I think they're both at 11. and. It's great that it's countered out by the explosive plays and the big time throws, mm-hmm. but it. I think Ben Baby wrote about this on ESPN. According to Next Gen Stats, like I think he leads the league in throws into tight windows, which is a testament to just the aggressive play style that he likes to play, and that he and was at LSU, and his accuracy. Like, I think, yeah, he, he. I think he leads the league also in like. Um, minimizing like off target throws or something like that. So it's, it's just a testament of who he is like at LSU. I don't think he's playing that much different than that 2019 season. And that's incredibly exemplified by the production down the field to Jamar chase. It looks exactly the same. It's just that windows get tighter 
in the NFL, even compared to SEC defenses, guys that collapse down on some of these throws. And a lot of the bad throws, the interceptions are happening kind of close to the line of scrimmage for whatever reason. And that it, it should be like the bread and butter of the offense. It should be what sustains drives and whatnot. And maybe that is where you see positive regression because he's thrown five of, of those interceptions within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage. And I think at least one behind the line of scrimmage in the form of a screen pass. So maybe that is where we see it go down a little bit, but I still think, I don't think his play style is going to change. And I think the interceptions number is high enough to where it's going to end up around the total number of games that he ends up playing. So I think it's going to be still at least 15 or 16, which is about one a game, which is about the pace that he's on right now. But yeah, I think it's just a little bit, a little bit wishful thinking that he just throws for only like a handful or like just one or two for the remainder of the season. I, I yeah, I mean, I, I think it's going to I don't think it's going to skyrocket. I think it'll it'll be about the same. He's going to take his chances. And I think he feels that with the weapons there, there, the opportunities are going to be there. Now, what the one caveat that I think may help limit these a little bit is potential. Uh, and we're going to talk about them in just a second, but potential improvement on contested catches by T Higgins, Tyler Boyd, and, and the rest of the group, Jamar Chase as well. Um, T Higgins has been a little surprising in terms of inability to come down with quite a few contested catches, which was his, um, was his forte really in college and, and as a rookie uh, as well, that's kind of been a little bit surprising here. This is, I, I hate, I really, really hesitate to bring out this name, but I'm going to share this screen here. This is, Pro football reference, a certain Indianapolis slash Denver QB that dominated the league for feels like forever. Okay. Look at the interceptions in, in the first handful of years and even into the fourth year, 23 picks, 26 touchdowns, 23 picks, 19, 19 interceptions. And then he cuts them down again. But I mean, even in obviously he's a rookie 28 led the league. That's the running joke with Peyton Manning. But even in year four, 23 picks, year five, 19 picks. Um, and then he really cuts them down quite a bit. Uh, this one, the 31 to nine, that's a that's a great ratio in 2006. But I think you get the point. Obviously, Joe Burrow is not Peyton Manning at this point in time. There are parallels being number one overall picks and obviously high hopes for Joe Burrow. But I think the point kind of sticks a little bit, John, wherein, you know, these guys have faith in their abilities and Joe Burrow is still a young quarterback. He has young wide receivers and there are, there are still some growing pains to be worked out here. I think we have some comments uh, about just the lack of production that they're getting on screen specifically to Jamar Chase. And I was curious about this. So I looked up um, Joe Burrow's production on screen passes. He's only averaging five and a half yards per attempt on them. He is completing 80% of them, but he is among the one of the league uh, leaders or opposite of league leaders. He's, he has like this eighth least amount of yards on screen passes for all starting quarterbacks this season. So if you just look at the non screen passes, the production in the grades is, is immensely better. It's a lot more appeasing to look at I don't know why they just don't, they just aren't good at designing screens and executing screens. And it's just bizarre because you look at what Baker Mayfield and Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes, they're all getting immense production and immense efficiency out of their screen design. So that's, either something that they have to improve on in the offseason or just basically phase out of the offense altogether because it's just not mm. working. 
Yeah, I don't really have a good answer for that, unfortunately, either. But yeah, it's it's a very inconsistent play. You get some from Yuzami, you get some nice plays from him and kind of these, you know, screen type of plays every once in a while. Joe Mixon breaks off. You know, I, I know in that uh, that initial drive against Cleveland, he had a couple of nice passes off of uh, screens that were set up there. But, you know, other than that, I mean, it's it's pretty inconsistent. And really the offense has been inconsistent as we've talked about. There's been a lot of explosive plays. There's been spurts of just methodical great drives. And then there are stretches of three and outs, stretches of inefficiency and and all of that. And that, that goes kind of across blame, goes across the board, starting from the coach and the offensive coordinator all the way down to the quarterback and the rest of the guys on that offense. So at any rate, that's kind of where we wanted to start in terms of projections with this, believe it or not, is Joe Burrow and his interceptions. So the next one, because we just uh, briefly mentioned his name, I think we have to talk about Chase. We crowned him after the Ravens game, rightfully so. I don't know how you could prevent yourself from doing that after what he showed in that game and the six games leading up to that. Obviously, has cooled down since then. Makes sense. He's a rookie. And sometimes if you garner that much attention, you're going to get, you know, limited to a certain degree. But now we're at the midway point. They had a week to rest. In those two weeks that where Chase wasn't as dominant, T. Higgins started to reemerge in the offense. And there were questions about how involved Tyler Boyd is going to be going forward. And they seem to be more committed to making sure that he's not neglected in the playbook. So believe it or not, are we going to see in the second half Jamar Chase pick up where he was in the beginning of the season, or are we now entering the part of the offense where they start to fairly or I guess more balancedly integrate all three of these guys? And we're going to see more balanced production from them going forward. I think you're going to see a, a bit more of a balance. I don't think, number one, I I don't think Chase could have, I mean, <laughs> expecting him to keep up that pace for an entire season is like, wow. Now I, I do think that he is talented enough to continue to, to make a lot of plays going down the stretch. I do think that they will try and get some of these other guys involved in the passing game that maybe were a little more quiet. Your, your chain moving guys. Um, you saw Drew Sample have a, a small handful of catches against, Cleveland, Uzama, he's he's had some big games and then he's been quiet in others. Tyler Boyd's been mostly quiet. T. Higgins has gotten a lot of targets, but uh, hasn't had the immense amount of production as of yet. So I think all of those factors, but we have to also consider that even though there were a lot of kind of one-on-one situations with Cleveland and Jamar Chase, uh, the Jets admitted that they were selling out on bracketing Jamar Chase in that game. And he, I mean, he still had a touchdown in that game, but production was limited. He had some drops and issues against Cleveland. And so, uh, you know, I, I just, I don't, I don't think it would be really fair of us to expect him to keep up that pace that we saw in the first six, seven games of this season. I still think he's going to have an outstanding season, probably one of, if not the best receiving season we have seen from a Bengals receiver in a very long time, but I do expect I'm tempering my expectations a little bit based on what I've seen the last couple of weeks, potentially defense is really keying on him and the Bengals may be making a, a, a little bit of an emphasis on integrating others into the, into the offense going forward. And I know there have been uh, concerns, I guess, about, oh, is Burrow too locked in on Chase? Is he not giving other guys fair enough attention? 
it, it makes sense because throwing the ball to Chase was by far their best option for the first seven weeks. Like it just worked more times than not. It was the reason why the offense was as explosive as they wanted to be. Featuring Jamar Chase in that capacity was making the Bengals offense good. And that's why he was that involved. But now, as we've seen, like you said, like guys are keen in on him more. I think he's still talented to be productive in, in those spurts. It's just a matter of how they adjust going forward. They have they had a week off to really reassess where they are. I think T. Higgins should be fully healthy at this point. Tyler Boyd should be hungry for more targets. And honestly, Jamar Chase should look at the last two weeks and say, like, I can do a lot better. And you have Burrow wanting to prove himself by not throwing as many interceptions. I think you're at a, an inflection point here where they can either go back to what worked or they can really realize the three-headed monster that they actually have. And I think that could determine whether or not they are successfully going into the playoffs or they just have to re-evalu- re- reevaluate and assess for next year. Interesting question from Michael Flukas here in the Facebook chat. Would moving Chase around instead of him solely being the X help his production as well as create mismatches in the other receivers? My answer to that, I guess, would be it could. But I, I still think the issue is still some inconsistency in terms of production, even targets, all of that from the other receivers that would take some of this attention that has now been pushed Chase's way. Again, Higgins not coming down with some of those contested catches. Boyd not really being a factor at all in the offense. Uzama being a huge factor in the offense some weeks and not so much in others. So I just think getting getting those others involved and having them produce a little bit more when their number is called is is going to just help as, as opposed to maybe moving Chase around. I don't know if you've got additional thoughts on that, though, John. I thought it was an interesting question. I think he's played a decent amount in the slot, but you know, they like to have Tyler Boyd there and I don't think they're, they're trying to really change a lot of the formations that they like to use. I think for the most part they work. It's just a matter of just consistency and some of the mental errors are turning into game changing errors, unfortunately the last two weeks. So we'll see how much they change. What do you got for us next? Let's go on the defensive side of the ball. Um, Logan Wilson is kind of where I want to want to start. And um, look, I mean, it's having a guy who's kind of your your middle linebacker-ish type of player getting four interceptions in a season is kind of an anomaly as it is. But he is a guy who has four interceptions through the first half of the season. So expecting him to get another four interceptions is probably pretty unrealistic. But there has been a big tail off really across the board too. It's not just Logan Wilson. It's not just the defense. It's the offense as well. There's just been a big tailspin in performance the past couple of weeks, but do you see Logan Wilson kind of returning close to the form that we've seen creating some of these turnovers that we saw early in the year, or will he struggle a bit more now that Davis Gaither is out of the out of the lineup for the year and uh the Bengals are kind of being exposed a little bit more on defense well i will say this logan wilson doesn't have to intercept another pass for the season to be successful for him that's why interceptions and i know we love to tout them in supporting ken riley's hall of fame case but i you know they're not always indicative of true success and coverage and that was best shown um when the jets lit up the Bengals and Logan Wilson, I think, answered a question after that, saying that, yeah, I think our drops and coverage were, were just a little bit too deep, and they took advantage of that, and they kind of ate us up 
uh, in the underneath, and we didn't finish and wrap up and tackle. Honestly, that's been the biggest issue. Like Wilson is missing more tackles now, which was kind of the case early on last year, and he showed improvements in the beginning of this season. And for whatever reason, well, not for whatever reason, he already admitted to what the issues were against the Jets. They tried to regroup and reattack that, but Nick Chubb is the boogeyman when it comes to the Bengals' defense. They don't know how to tackle that man. Specifically, Logan Wilson, who I, I still think back to last last year on Thursday Night Football Week 2, that the man didn't even touch Nick Chubb. And when he did, he fell immediately to the floor. And <laughs> that was unfortunately the case with it this week. So they don't face Nick Chubb again until Week 18. So Logan Wilson has seven other games in between then to kind of find his footing again. And yeah, they've suffered a lot of uh, setbacks at linebacker, including Davis Gaither. But they still got both starters out there in Wilson and Pratt, and they've played the majority of the snaps. So nothing should really change in, in, in that sense. But, you know, he doesn't have to worry about Nick Chubb for a while. So he should get his confidence back. I, You know, I, I don't expect uh, Wilson to be at the performance level that we saw early in the season. But I, I do expect an uptick definitely from the past couple of weeks and I don't know what what it was. I don't know if it's just kind of general fatigue midway through the season and the Bengals just needed this by right now. I don't know if it's scheme. I don't know if it's just lack of focus. It may be a combination of all of the factors. I don't know, but you're right. I mean, there have been a, a slew of missed tackles. He has been one of the primary culprits of that, and that just can't happen. So I don't I don't expect the Pro Bowl type of pace that we saw early in the season and, and production wise from Logan Wilson. But I, I do think that, you know, the team he, he'll, he'll play better than the last couple of weeks. That's, that's my assumption. I'm going to need an answer from the Cincinnati kid five, one, three as to why Logan Wilson blocked that man on Instagram before the end of the show. Yeah. Um, next I'm, we're I'm going to, to... <laughs> Yeah, you're on the clock, Cincinnati kid. We're going to go <laughs> to the defensive line here for the next one. And I think for starters, we should just appreciate or just commend the job that Trey Hendrickson has done. I don't think I've done enough of that on this program, especially as someone who didn't think what he did in New Orleans was sustainable or repeatable in Cincinnati. But through nine games, he is top 10 in pass rush uh, win rate against um, just every pass rushing opportunity. And he's third against true pass sets. So his production is legit. He is winning consistently, regardless of the competition. And he's now, I think, on pace for about 17 sacks, which wouldn't break Coy Bacon's record, unofficial record, but it would break the official record that Carlos Dunlap uh, set a few years back at 13 and a half. I don't think that, it, it, I think it's a safe bet that he will, but believe it or not, Trey Hendrickson keeps up this pace and makes Bengals history. I think as long as he's healthy, he does. I, I do. I mean, I eight, I think he's at eight and a half right now, right? Uh, through the first half there. And, um, you know, I mean, it's essentially a sack a game. And he seems to have at least one big play per game. Uh, you know, the one thing that is missing, not just from him. Uh, we talked about this on a past show, John, that the one thing that seems to be missing is kind of the sack fumble plays, the, the you know the devastating type of plays that come with pressures and and that sort of thing pressures resulting in interceptions and that sort of thing um those are are a little few and far between for my liking but i mean i yeah i i think he's got every shot to break that break that franchise record and should do so should he stay healthy um he's been he's been a nice piece they move him around a little bit 
sometimes when I go over snap counts on the happening headlines, I get a little surprised because I feel like he's out there a lot, but he actually is not. I figured he'd be in the 80s or 90s percent in terms of snap amounts, and they're usually like in the 70 percent. It's 70 percent range. It seems they move him around a bit. Um, so yeah, there's, they're seemingly keeping him pretty fresh and he seems to be pretty productive per snap. You know, I mean, there's a couple of dry games where he's had dry spells, but he's up, up towards the top in terms of total pressures up towards the league leaders in sacks and up towards uh, the top in terms of pressure rates. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that based on what I've seen, I believe that he can, he can get there. And it's, it's just him winning off of just pure technique it's why i think it's sustainable like he's not the most athletic guy out there i know he's got a certain pigment but he just knows how to win with his hands and it's it hasn't really mattered who the competition has been and he went against a slew of not so good left tackles to begin the season but he's he really has kept up that pace and it's it's interesting seeing like sam hubbard on the opposite side be the antithesis of him where Sam Hubbard kind of needs a good matchup to win as a pass rusher, but he's so much better as a run defender compared to Hendrickson. So you have dominant pass rusher on one side and a dominant run stopper on the other side, and their strengths and weaknesses kind of complement each other so perfectly. But I think because we've seen that production sustain itself regardless of the competition and just off of the most important thing that you need as a pass rusher, I, I think it is sustainable, and he will end up breaking Dunlap's record. It's just a matter of how much. Okay. Uh, we're going to, we got to get to the Raiders preview here quickly. Uh, do you expect to see, uh, I'll just, we'll just kind of end on this one since we did offense and defense, a little special teams here. What do you expect for Evan McPherson the rest of the way? He's three of four on kicks over 50 yards. He did have a few misses. I think he's, uh, he's got, he's at like 76% on field goal attempts, 78% on field goal attempts. Do you expect him to hover around that, that percentage or will he improve and make some big, big long and late season kicks, maybe even in bad weather as the Bengals might need him? Yeah. I don't think he's going to remain. Um, I, I think he's going to miss at least another kick before the season ends. Hopefully for their sake, it's not going to be, in an important situation. I'm just curious, like ever since the green Bay game, they haven't really been trotting him out there for kicks beyond 55. There were a couple instances where we thought, okay, they're at the 39 or at the 40. This is McPherson's time to show off that leg that he has. And he hasn't really been put in that situation since uh, the green Bay game. So I'm, I'm interested to see as the weather gets colder and presumably it gets harder to kick if that changes or remains the same, but he's, bounced back beautifully since that week and yeah i would i would expect it to remain that unless you know something mentally happens yeah i i you know i think he's been pretty steady other than that game and um you know the the Bengals have relied on him and he's he's done a lot of good things as a rookie kicker i think he's got two game winners and you know, I mean, he's they've asked a lot of him for a rookie kicker. To your point, though, that is a, an interesting observation in terms of them kind of easing up on some of these longer kick opportunities. And then, of course, um, you know, the Bengals are being a little more aggressive on, on fourth downs and things like that. So, you know, maybe that continues. And so some of his attempt counts are limited in – the you know in in these games here but uh you know i expect him to still maintain a steady pace and makes make a decent amount of kicks and from 
long ranges, I, I would assume. Exactly. And I don't know. It, it, it's weird. I, I don't know if it's a lack of trust or it's just they want to be conservative against some of these teams. But he's got a dome coming up against the Raiders on pure grass. So maybe they give him a shot this game. King of the Segway. Let's go there. That'll that'll wrap, believe it or not. And we will start talking a little bit about this upcoming game against the Las Vegas Raiders. He's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Cazenza. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast, part of the Cincy Jungle Podcast Network, where we also have Coach Speak and Chalk Talk from Matt Minnick and Orange is the New Black from Ace and Zim. We will all be getting together on Friday afternoon to talk a little bangles, maybe answer a few listener questions, and uh, doing a, a group get-together. So should be fun. Looking forward to that. Check that out. Subscribe to the channel uh, for your favorite audio streamer. And then, of course, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel if you like the video format as well. You can subscribe to that and then hit the bell to be notified when we go live. We kind of talked about it a little bit at the beginning. The Bengals go to Las Vegas to face a team, John, that is right now almost a carbon copy, at least the last couple of weeks, in a lot of different ways as the Cincinnati Bengals. The records are identical. They both went to New York two weeks ago as favorites against the two respective New York teams, both lost unexpectedly as favorites in those games. Both returned home to host a division team, similar records as well, got blown out at home by those divisional opponents that they hosted. So now the Bengals are coming off the bye. The Raiders are not, but the Bengals are coming off the bye and they travel on the road. This kind of seems a little bit like a must-win game for both of these teams at this point in time to to really kind of get some good footing in that muddy playoff picture that we showed everybody earlier does it matter or does it is it weighted more in the raiders favor that they're in this position while dealing with everything that they've dealt with a head coach who has to resign due to scandal and a receiver that was so integral in their success getting arrested in the middle of it like i i was astounded just reading of, of everything like I, I think it was after the the Damon Arnett release when he was um, seen on Instagram waving a firearm or something like that. I'm like, how is this team five and three? This is before they lost to the Chiefs uh, uh, last Sunday or Monday night. And I realized that it's because they have a quarterback who's playing really well and playing so well. In fact, that if you compare how Derek Carr and Joe Burrow played in the first eight weeks, it's almost identical. Like in terms of his PFF grade, I think one is that Joe Burrow was at 87.1. Um, Derek Carr was at 89.1. Derek Carr was through for 2,269 yards. Joe Burrow was at 2,215. Completion percentage just below 68%. Like it's almost strikingly identical. And Derek Carr, I think, was leading the league in big time throws, according to PFF, during that time period. So that was why, it re- despite all of the chaos, like the Raiders were still competing. And I think at the top of the AFC West and in the last two weeks, Derek Carr went from one of the best quarterbacks in the league to one of the worst. And it coincides almost with the the loss of Henry Ruggs from that offense. So it's like they're starting to feel the effects of all the chaos just now in the last two weeks. And now they're in, like you said, an exact same situation as the Bengals in where they need a bounce back win to keep in this playoff race. 
this game is going to go a long way. Uh, you know, we mentioned that the the Steelers play the Chargers. Um, you know, the Chiefs have a have a big game uh, that we mentioned earlier, and then you've got these these. So, I mean, this is going to go a long way in in deciding a lot of different things. As really week by week, there's just going to be these these clashes of all of these playoff bound teams at, that at least playoff bound at this moment in time. These teams are going to face each other, and uh, you know these are the head-to-head matchups you have to get not only to get in the win column, but also as this conference seems to be really tight in the playoff race, you got to win these head-to-head matchups, these strength of schedule types of types of tiebreaker situations. You know the the Steelers now have that tie in their record, so that kind of throws everything askew as well in terms of how the playoff bracket works out, but. Regardless, um, it's it to your point, whether it's Derek Carr and Joe Burrow, the start that these teams had, the record they currently have, what's transpired in their last two games, a lot of similarities to these teams. The Bengals, I believe, at least earlier in the week, I I think they still are, are a one point favorite in Las Vegas. Um, Barely, I guess, in the eyes of Las Vegas, um, they are... Uh, slight favorites overall. Um, Obviously, you know, usually home teams get two points, three points on their home field if they're hosting. So, you know, uh, Vegas thinks the Bengals have, have a a decent edge here. I guess if we want to talk a little um, X's and O's, John, the one guy that always, we kind of joke about it with the Bengals and seeing how much trouble they seem to have covering tight ends. Um, Darren Waller is a freak. I I looked at his stats. They are not as gaudy as I thought they would have been, but he is still a threat. He's been a little quieter in recent weeks, but the Bengals seem to have trouble with these types of players. And he is, he is an athletic freak and one of the best in the league when he is on. It's not in the traditional sense where he's just like an inline tight end for most of the game. He's out there out wide. At least that's what yeah. I remember him like yeah. when he ascended with the Raiders. So the the whole thing with the Bengals was that, you know, they, they were constantly picked on by tight ends coming off the line of scrimmage and they couldn't have linebackers or safeties match up with them. It's going to be a cornerback for the most part, or maybe, maybe they have a linebacker that goes out and follows him. And that's going to be the toughest thing. I, I think that that could either make or break. I think that narrative, because if you have just a tight end, playing like a wide receiver you know you could have a cornerback to to get up in the space you could have like a trey flower situation a guy with that size of like six six two or six three you might not have him basically follow um wall or whenever he lines about wide uh, i don't know it, it's going to be different than what we've seen in the past with Bengals and tight ends honestly for me like he has as many receiving yards as hunter renfro and renfro kind of scares me a lot in this game too at least from what the Bengals do defensively. Mike Hilton has been largely the same guy that he's always been. And while that's great in terms of a pass rusher and a tackler, he's not the greatest guy to cover slot receivers. I think that's honestly a mismatch too. Like if they have Waller and and Renfro in the the slot, that's going to put the Bengals defense in a bind. And if Carr has enough time, like he's shown that he's got the capability of putting the ball wherever he wants to on the field. So you have shifty slot receiver, and an imposing tight end who, even if he isn't producing like an elite tight end this year, he's still 
a presence that you have to account for. And it's going to force the Bengals defense to adjust based off of what they've done this year. Yeah, to your point about Waller earlier, I think he was actually a a wide receiver in college uh, a bit. And then just because of the size and profile, uh, the Raiders felt that he would he would kind of be more of a hybrid tight end type. And they have I I vividly remember watching the the opening game against the Ravens and they had him split out wide um, in that game. And, And I mean, he's he's a freak and Renfro is a tough, tough matchup as well. The Bengals will need to really be on their P's and Q's there with, with that matchup. That's a great one. And we're getting, you know, from Cincinnati kid five, one, three and others talking about the rushers and Gawkway and Max Crosby of, of the Raiders, you know, there's, there's some similarities there in terms of maybe some issues or inconsistencies from both teams, offensive lines, but they do have a couple of edge rushers that can get out of the passer and bring some pressure do both of these teams on the on the defensive line? Crosby and uh, Ngakwe uh, scare me a little bit. The Bengals tackles have been largely playing well. Jonah Williams has about a seventy-one plus overall grade on the year. Riley Reef is about a seventy, I think, as well. So I mean, the, the tackles are playing solid by a lot of different stretches of the imagination. But this is going to be one of their tougher matchups of the year. I mean, just look at at the times this year when the Bengals offense has struggled. You look at the, the the Bears game, Vikings game, Browns game. That's when the pass rush has gotten the best of the Bengals offensive line. Max Crosby and Yannick Ngakwe on paper, they don't scare you like um, a Miles Garrett does or, you know, or what the Ravens have as, as a pass rushing unit. But they lead the league. The Like, I think they're one and two in pressures this year. And Max Crosby's doing it at an insanely high level. I think he's PFF's number one edge rusher for this year in terms of pass rushing grade. What he's doing is legit. And hell, back in 2019, the last time these two teams played, Crosby had the game of his life. I think that was the game that really got him on the map of the NFL. He sacked Ryan Finley, I think, twice, which I mean, I mean, he's Ryan Finley and the Bengals offense line was trash that year, but he's only got him, he's only gotten better, just like the Bengals offense line has only gotten better. That in, in itself can break this game open for the Raiders because that has just been a theme for the Bengals this year. When they run into pass rushes that can win one-on-one matchups and disrupt the flow of the Bengals offense and they can't do what they want as a passing unit, that has been where they've struggled. So Yannick and Max are going to come to play and the Bengals better hope that Jonah and Riley Reef do the same. On the flip side, a guy that a lot of Bengals fans going into the draft wanted um, should he have fallen to the second round, Alex Leatherwood, he's had a bit of a rough rookie year, some penalties and, and other stuff, uh, have, have plagued him, um, inconsistent play. So that's something that, uh, we'll need to, we'll need to watch. I think also he's bounced from guard and tackle this year. He's done a little bit of both. So they've tried to make it work with him and he's had, he's had a little bit of a rough go. So that's some, someone definitely to spotlight and watch this game um not only just because of the previous vested interest that a lot of Bengals fans had in him as a prospect but also because Bengals need to generate pressure of their own this in, in this one as well <laughs> it's it's interesting because like when we talked about Leatherwood in the offseason the the plan was like oh yeah he can just slide in at guard because I think that's where he started at Alabama and then he can move to, to right tackle eventually and I guess the Raiders started him at tackle he was awful there. Now they've moved him inside the guard, and I think, I think he's done a little bit better in recent weeks, which is why he's maintained that position. But it's forced 
the Raiders, I think, to return back to Brandon Parker at right tackle, who was just not a very good player. Colton Miller, though, at left tackle has improved so much more compared to the last time these two teams have, fit, have met. And I think he's now playing on a mammoth contract. So, yeah, Leatherwood is still kind of learning the ropes. And this is just going to be a game where both teams have kind of a weak spot of right card. Before we get to predictions and kind of what we think is going to happen here, John, um, you had mentioned that uh, you, you talked about the injury report. We won't say why, but you talked about the injury report earlier that, uh, in the show. Um, can you update that? I'm going to try and find a, a graphic or something like that to share, not to put you on the spot, but if you can share some of the highlights of the Bengals injury report, um, that would help us out. So if I did write the injury report on CincyJungle.com, <laughs> and you will find that almost immediately after this program ends, you would see that the Bengals had one player not practice today, and that is rookie defensive tackle Tyler Shelvin. Apparently, he's dealing with a knee injury. Um, he played his first game two weeks ago now because of injuries at defensive line, but apparently he is dealing with something that forced him to, to miss practice. As usual, Trey Hopkins got more of a management-type rest day deal. He was limited with his knee, and Auden Tate, who has not played in, in a minute, Still dealing with a thigh injury. He was limited. Raiders have a little bit more to worry about on their injury report. You have Josh Jacobs limited with a knee. You have Yannick and Gokwe is listed with a back injury, but he practiced full. And Amik Robinson, the talented cornerback, you did not practice with a hip. So a couple, of guys, a couple more guys that the Raiders have to deal with. But for the most part, the Bengals remain pretty healthy. Yeah, did I read something also that early in the week through a you know a light walkthrough or something that Sam Hubbard didn't dress? Um, I thought I had. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that was earlier in the week, and I guess he returned to practice today. Yeah, so that's that's good news. Maybe just getting a little extra rest or something there. But um, so that is uh, a little bit of the injury report, and um, you know. That's an update here, and that's courtesy of Willie Willie Ramirez, who I think covers the Las Vegas Raiders there, uh, showing us the um, injury report. So that is where we are before we get to predictions here, John. And, hey, we're we're here at predictions. What do you think? What, how are you feeling about this one? Um, I actually feel, despite what we saw from the Raiders on – Sunday night, and despite all of these major issues that you highlighted that they have gone through, I still think this is a tough matchup for Cincinnati. Anything can happen in this game. I, I'm I'm just I'm basically done at this point having any confidence in projecting any game from this season. Um, I, I know that you know the Bengals have historically not done well after buys. They've historically not done well. In new environments this is going to a, a place they've never played before against a team that despite all their troubles are still really talented and are still capable of bouncing back anything that you can say bad about the Raiders you could equally say that of the Bengals they have been in the same two-week rut that they desperately need to get out of and I think when you just look at what the Raiders do well they pass the ball really well with a quarterback who's playing really well and they rush the passer really well I think both of those things aren't good news for the Bengals necessarily. I, I think the Bengals can win this game. I think they can put up a lot of points against the Raiders defense that if Crosby and Yannick don't do well, I think the Bengals can easily put up 30 points. 
I think the Raiders are just as likely to put up 30 points as well. Yeah. So I, th- I think I want to, just like before the Raiders ga- Ravens game, I would like to be proven wrong here. I think the Bengals keep this close, but I think the Raiders ultimately come out hmm. with maybe like a 27 to 23 victory. Okay. Uh, I am. I think normally I would agree with you. If if the Bengals were not coming off of this bye week, and they, we know that they don't always come out of the bye week firing on all cylinders, hello Marvin Lewis, but I I think that this bye week came at pretty much the best time possible for this team. Uh, I mean, obviously you can say, yeah, a little bit later in the year, rest up again for a little last stretch there, sure, but I think where they were mentally, this two-game skid that they were on, and getting a couple more guys healthy, I think just it just needed to be right where it was. And with this last stretch of games coming, you know, they needed that. And so I think the bye week is actually going to do them a big favor in a game that otherwise I'm not so sure that they would win. Um, And I don't, I don't know that I see, you know, a 35, 31 type of, I'm thinking more like 24, 20 Cincinnati. I'm thinking, you know, 20, 23, 23, 17, 24, 20, um, one possession game, Bengals kind of do some things. I think Joe Mixon, I think they will rely on Joe Mixon. I think they will spread the ball a little bit more. Um, but I think uh, I think this is going to be a hard, a difficult game for both teams. I don't expect a blowout by either team. I, I think it's going to be close. I know we said that about the Cleveland game, but uh, I, I think it's going to be close. And I think I think Cincinnati, because of the bye week, will will eke one out. Everything that you just said makes sense, which makes me feel like it's not going to happen because that's just what it is this year. You know, my brain is just broken. I know this year has just been emotional roller coaster up and down, up and down, up and down. But that's our predictions. We're getting a few more here. Ramiro in the YouTube chat says ugly defensive game. Uh, Burrow and Chase and Mixon will be fired up. That's why we win by 21. Um, and then you see Josh Cook. This is a must-win game. Um, so uh, the great one saying 45, 45-20 Bengals. Wow, winning by almost four touchdowns. Uh, Cringe Wizard, who is uh, John's number one fan, Cringe Wizard, I think. Uh, Cincinnati Bengals, 31-20. Uh, so uh, he has the Bengals winning there. So at any rate, that is going to wrap this show up. We're going to drop the mic. And get out of here. We've gone over an hour, even coming off a bye week. I can't even believe it. We are chatty Cathy's, but that's all right. Uh, John, what do you have for us on our way out the door? Well, after you listen to this podcast, um, it would mean a lot if you would go over to our Raiders SB Nation website, Silver and Black Pride, and listen to their latest uh, episode of their podcast where I was invited on to talk with Matt Holder, who does the podcast over there, to talk about this upcoming game give you about an hour-long preview. So definitely check out the Silver and Black Pride podcast network for that episode. Other than that, back to football, Anthony. Yeah, I've got a small handful of things as well, and we'll have to um, definitely get that info over to me, John, and I will promote the heck out of that, my friend. Um, I was also invited. It should be hitting um, the air late this week, I believe, um that's it's scott goldbranson he runs the silver and black tonight slash today radio show and it's on uh the mightier 1090 which is actually in southern california my neck of the woods so he's going to talk a little raiders with me there so i uh i'm looking forward to that 
Um, I want to say a great, uh, another thank you. I kind of said it a little bit jokingly earlier, but I really sincerely mean it to our buddy, Russ Blackthorne. He sent me a really kind um, message via, via Twitter last night, yesterday, that uh, just kind of thanking us for what you and I do on the show. And, you know, it's just stuff like that sometimes over a bye week and you feel like, oh man, things are getting stale a little bit or whatever. Um, you, you get a nice message like that thanking both of us. And it's just kind of like, no, don't thank us. Thank you for listening, you know? Um, so I, I want to say that we tried for the past couple of weeks to get Tim McGee back on this show, this show, the former Bengals wide receiver and current pre and post game show guy for 700 WLW covering the Cincinnati Bengals. Literally during the show, John, he texted me literally during the show next Wednesday was his text. He's going to come on. There we next go. Wednesday. So, we wanted him to talk bi-week stuff, but that's okay. Now we've got a little more meat on the bone here to talk about with the Raiders game in the rear view and what's ahead. So as of now, we've got Tim McGee texting us during the show saying next Wednesday he is in. So expect that to come your way next week. Excited about that. And I would be remiss if I did not uh, wish both of my parents, my mom and dad, an early birth, happy birthday their uh, birthdays are the 19th and the 20th this weekend here. So happy birthday to both. My dad's is a biggie. I won't say what age because I, I don't think he likes me promoting how old he is. Uh, but he's still a young, young at heart type of guy. So happy birthday. Happy early birthday, mom and dad. Uh, they do actually listen to this show, John, believe it or not. They're not Bengals fans, but they support the show. So uh, you always got to like when mom and dad support you, right? Yeah, man, my parents listen to the show too. It's a great show. I don't know why they wouldn't. <laughs> yeah, your dad, your dad follows the the Twitter account, the show's Twitter account. So uh, I think he we does to, to all ninety of his followers. He likes <laughs> to retweet the show. Yeah, yeah. So um, with that being said, John, thank you as as always. Uh, appreciate your talents and your insight to this show, my friend. Should be a fun one this this Sunday coming up here. I think it'll be a, a pretty pretty good game. Get out of Vegas alive. I think that's always a good it's always a good sign. It's always a goal. Yep. Yep. So we've got a big show lined up to kick off your Thanksgiving holiday next week with with Tim McGee. We'll get that all planned out and get that out to you, but stoked on that. Thanks everybody for tuning in. Thanks to those who tuned in live. Or if you didn't catch us live, try to next time. But it's okay if you caught us after the fact. Thanks everybody. And we'll see you Friday also with the round table with the rest of the Cincy Jungle podcasters. Take it easy, everybody.